Good morning. Uh, would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 14? And as you're turning there, I will bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Covenant Fellowship. Um, I love the way Jacob described it. I lead a separate nonprofit that we've established called Covenant Mercies, um, but I do that from a role on the pastoral team at Covenant Fellowship, and I was commissioned, set apart to establish that organization 20 years ago now, so Covenant Mercies turns 20 in, in uh, 2022, and uh, I look forward to, on the, on the tail end of my message this morning, to give you a, a brief update on the ministry and all the Lord's doing. Many of you are participating in that, so that is a, an expression of my gratitude to you and also uh, an invitation to consider uh, continuing to join hands with us in in many ways, but I, I always want to begin in God's word. I'm so glad that I get to preach first and then talk about covenant mercies as, as an application of that word. Um, so if you're with me in Luke chapter 14, I wanna begin reading in verse 12. And just to set the scene, uh, Jesus is at the table of a Pharisee. He's been invited to a dinner party and this is what occurs. Uh, he, being Jesus, also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And Lord, we invite you now to speak to your people through your word. And Lord, use me, I pray. I don't know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a kindness that seems to have strings attached. A kindness, I don't know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a kindness that seems to have strings attached. A kindness, a kindness that seems to be motivated more out of self-interest than out of a true spirit of generosity. Uh, the classic example for me in this is some guys that I'll refer to as the squeegee guys in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know if you've had this phenomenon in your local cities around here, but we used to. I think it's not a allowed anymore. Uh, but, you know, I've, I'm a suburban kid. I grew up in the suburbs of Philly, so we would go into town for an event, and you'd arrive at a particular traffic light that's especially long, and all of a sudden these guys would be upon your car, and they'd be putting the soap on your windshield. And if you're from out of town, you might actually get fooled for a minute, and you think, oh, wow, it really is a city of brotherly love. Uh, the welcoming committee is here, and they're uh, doing their squeegee work, but you would learn very quickly that there was an expectation, and the work would stop as soon as it was clear that you weren't uh, participating in the expectation. Now, I'm not, uh, in other words, they want you to give them money. Uh, I am not criticizing the squeegee guys. In many ways, I think that's commendable. They're trying to offer something in exchange for what they're asking for. Um, my point is, from the perspective of the recipient of this kindness, um, you can almost feel like there are certain forms of generosity that you need to be on your guard against because really they're nothing more than a thinly veiled attempt to obligate you to do something in return. Well, this reciprocity ethic, this idea that I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, was very strong in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus lived in, pervasive in Jewish society of that day as well. So as Jesus sits at the table of this Pharisee, he knows well the mindset that he's addressing. One would behave in a generous way toward others in order to elicit a similar generosity in return. And conversely, if someone extended a kindness to you, an act of generosity toward you, you would feel an obligation, even an ethical obligation, to reciprocate. Now, this reciprocity ethic may not be as clear in our own modern Western way of thinking, but it is undeniably present under the surface in so many of our social and personal interactions. If we're honest, we really have to admit that there's very little we do in life that isn't somehow motivated 
by our own self-interest. And on certain levels, that's perfectly okay. I don't wanna suggest that the idea of reciprocity is is inherently evil or impure. Uh, In certain contexts, it's actually the highest goal. Think of the business context, right? If, If I am providing a good or a service and you are happy to part with X number of dollars in exchange for that service and I'm happy to provide that service for X number of dollars, that really defines the ideal business transaction. And if that uh, sounds to you like an endorsement of free, uh, f- uh, f- free market economic principles, it is. Um, but that's not my point. My point is simply to say that, uh, that the idea of reciprocity is not in itself inherently wrong. Uh, however, as Jesus so often does, he comes to us here and he goes beneath the surface and he has some questions for us that probe into the depths of our hearts and our motivations. And he's pushing us beyond our normal human tendencies. See, Jesus calls us here to a selfless love that expends itself for others without regard for what they can give us in return. And I probably don't need to tell you that this does not come naturally to us. Uh, In our humanity, in our sinful nature, we are bent toward doing things that are in our own self-interest and neglecting things that really have no personal benefit to us at all. And so against the grain of his own ancient culture, against the grain of our cultures of today, against the grain of our, our human nature and sinful nature, Jesus calls us here to, he teaches us here that true Christian generosity goes beyond the bounds of reciprocity. And in fact, one of the defining characteristics of generosity that is uniquely Christian in other words, it's, it's a function not just of our humanity, but a function of our faith. A, a, a defining characteristic of generosity that is uniquely Christian is its intentional focus on those who could do nothing to repay it. Jesus says, you want to know whether your love is truly Christian love? Love those who have no capacity to love you in return. You want to know whether your generosity is like that of your Father in heaven? Give to those who can do nothing to repay you. This is generosity in its purest form, and Jesus wants to ensure that it's a present and visible trait in the lives of his disciples. And so in the balance of our time in the Word, I just want to make two observations about this generosity that Jesus commends to us. Two things that stand out from the text about this generosity. Number one, it takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. This generosity takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. Now, contrary to the way that Jesus' words may sound to us at face value, it sounds kind of strange. He's saying, don't invite your family, don't invite your friends, don't invite your rich neighbors. Jesus is not uh, suggesting that it's wrong. He's not forbidding us from having our friends over. He's not forbidding us from being generous toward those who are closest to us, like our family. Uh, If that's what he was doing, he would be commanding us to violate other very clear scriptures. So obviously, Jesus is not commanding us to do that. Uh, Remember, he's at the table of a Pharisee. He's addressing a mindset that he knows is common among them. So he's using some hyperbole here. He's using some strong language to jar us out of our comfort zone, to jar us out of our complacency, and to make a point. Well, here's the point that Jesus is making. He's saying that as God's people our generosity shouldn't be limited to that which is normal. Uh, It's normal to be generous toward those who can return the favor to us somehow. As disciples of Christ, we're called to take generous initiative toward those who can't return the favor to us. And listen, I love this. We're called to do that specifically because they can't repay us. I just love the way Jesus explains the reason why we shouldn't invite our friends, our family, the the rich who we might want to hang out with to our little dinner party. He says, no, no, don't do that lest they also invite you and you be repaid. 
as if that should be intuitive to us. Oh yeah, of course, that would be a tragedy. Let's say I go out, I bump into Elon Musk and we invite Elon and his wife over to our home and we have a nice meal together and they decide, hey, let's invite Doug and Rachel out to our place. And so we go to their place and we have a lovely dinner and after dinner, Elon says, hey, let's go up in SpaceX. This one's on me. Um, That would be a tragedy, right? That's what Jesus is saying. No, Jesus is not suggesting that this would be a tragedy. What he's saying is, that's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world operates. If your generosity remains only within those bounds, what difference really has the grace of God made? Read with me again in verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why will you be blessed? Because they cannot repay you. Notice he doesn't say you'll be blessed even though they can't repay you, despite the fact that they can't repay you. No, he says you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. There's a cause-effect relationship here. The blessing for you is the direct result of the fact that you have selected as the object of your generosity those who cannot return the favor. And as you take initiative toward them, fully aware that there's nothing they can do to repay you, God promises that he will bless you for that very same reason. And this, Jesus says, is one of the things that ought to characterize us as Christians and distinguish us from the world. See, this is a characteristic characteristic that differentiates Christian love, Christian generosity, from love and generosity that we might think of as natural or normal, even apart from Christ. Uh, Earlier in Luke's gospel, in chapter 6, Jesus spoke in similar terms when calling us to love our enemies. You can either turn back in your Bibles, or I think we have a slide with these verses coming up. Jesus says, beginning in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive. What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But you love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Did you see the similar logic there in what Jesus was calling us to? How do we demonstrate that we're sons and daughters of the Most High? Well, it's not by merely doing the same things that are possible and even normal apart from faith. As Jesus might say, what credit is that to you? How does that distinguish you from the world? The world neglects to show kindness to those who can do nothing to repay it. But Jesus comes to us and says, not so with you. It shall not be so with us as his disciples. We demonstrate that we are children of our Father in heaven, that we are disciples of his son Jesus by taking initiative where it wouldn't be natural, where it wouldn't be normal for us to do so. By loving even our enemies, We need to just like take a moment and let that sit with us because we get used to these phrases just rolling off of of Jesus' tongue. Loving even our enemies, the people we would naturally hate. And from a similar logic, by making sure that our generosity extends to those who can do nothing to repay us. Now I want to bring the scene back to the Pharisees' table uh, because there's a most profound accent placed on Jesus' exhortation in this simple fact. And it's a simple fact that went right over the heads of his original hearers, but we should see that it doesn't go over our heads this morning. Uh, That simple fact is this. The one who is reclining with them at this table is himself God incarnate. He is there with them on this day because he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he took the very nature of a servant and took initiative toward those who could do nothing to repay him for this kindness. Soon he will give all 
at Calvary, enduring death, even death on a cross, for those who could never repay him for his sacrifice. And listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you're exploring what the Christian faith is all about. Maybe you're a young person who's been raised in the church and you're coming to that point in your life where you really need to decide, is this a faith I embrace for myself or is this just the faith of my parents? There's something that you need to really wrestle with and understand, and that is this. There is nothing you can do to repay God. There's nothing you can do to repay God. You don't come to Jesus uh, to, as a repayment to God for his kindness to you or as a repayment for the wrongs you've done. You come to Jesus as an act of faith, believing, knowing in your heart that his death and his resurrection are sufficient to cover the penalty for your sins and restore your relationship to God. But for those of us who are in a position of faith already this morning, I trust you see the rich gospel truth that's bound up in what Jesus calls us to uh, in this text. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Take initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay you. Lavish them with love and kindness and generosity. Why? Well, because that's exactly what Jesus did when he left behind the riches of heaven to seek and save lost sinners like you and me. This generosity that Jesus commends to us takes selfless, Christ-like initiative initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay it. And the second point about this generosity is simply this. It's driven by faith. This generosity is driven and fueled by faith. Now, even as Jesus calls us here to a generosity that's not self-interested, he simultaneously lifts our eyes to a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. Again, let's look at verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amazingly, as we put off this normal, natural human tendency to be motivated by the things of this world and take initiative instead toward those who can do nothing to repay us in the terms of this world, Jesus promises us that we will be repaid in eternity. We will be rewarded for that act of faith. And we, we can only embrace this reward in the here and now by faith. It's not something we can see or tangibly hold in the present life, but we can embrace it by faith, by trusting that what Jesus says to us here is rock-solid truth. Nothing could be truer, though we can't hold it in our hands. That what we sacrifice in this life for those who can do nothing to repay us will accrue to our benefit in eternity. And this, brothers and sisters, is the great paradox of giving in the kingdom of God. It is a sacrifice to give to those who cannot return the favor to you. It it is a sacrifice. It will cost you something. We shouldn't pretend that it won't. It will cost you the ability to use those funds for some other purpose that will benefit your life more in the here and now. But when we consider that sacrifice in light of the eternal reward Jesus promises us here, it really is no sacrifice at all. It's better thought of as an investment. Uh, It's an investment into a future reward, and in a world of uh, a rising and falling stock market and cryptocurrencies that are on a roller coaster, I am here to tell you that this is the most secure investment that you could possibly make. Now, there are many sacrifices that we make in this life for a reward that we expect to receive later. I happen to be someone who loves to get out in the garden every spring. I love to get out there and start getting some dirt under my fingernails and start planting those vegetables that within a few months we'll be experiencing the fruit of. Um, A few years ago, I became enamored with the idea of uh, planting perennial fruit-bearing bushes, especially blueberry bushes. So I've planted 11 blueberry bushes all over my property, uh, and I had to throw myself into some research because when I first tried it, it it didn't really flourish, and uh, I figured out why. 
Uh, blueberries require uh, acidic soil. They really like a highly acidic soil. So I had to completely replace my natural soil where I was planting the blueberries, put some uh, peat moss and some pine bark mulch and things like that in there. They also have a very shallow root system. So you need to put uh, several inches of mulch around them. And I found the best materials for that. And you know, it really helps them to, to flourish and thrive. Uh, the other thing I learned about blueberries is that in the first few seasons, after you plant these baby plants, um, they advise you, they, I don't know who they are, but the, the, pe <laughs> the people who know about blueberries advise that you should pinch the blossoms off of the, the plants for the first three seasons. By that I mean you pull it right off the plant and drop it on the ground. Now, as you probably know, those blossoms are what become the berries after the bees come and do their miraculous work. And so uh, the, what you're basically doing is saying, I'm not gonna get any berries out of this bush for this season, and then this season, and then this season, because you're telling that, that plant to put all of its energy into developing a strong root system, a strong base, and then, Lord willing, it will provide abundant fruit for you for 50 or even 75 years after that. So, I threw myself into it, I did that, it was easy the first year, there's hardly any blossoms there to throw away. Second year, there's a little more. I remember that third season, it was just hard. I didn't want to pinch those blossoms because I could have tasted a handful of blueberries. And uh, the, you know, the bushes were looking a little bit bigger, they're a little bit stronger. It seems like it would be fine if I just go ahead and enjoy this now. But I didn't, I, I did as instructed. I pinched those blossoms and uh, thankfully the, the, the bushes have really produced for us. This year we picked 128 pints of blueberries and we're, eating them every day, giving them away, freezing them, canning them, you, you name it, we're trying it. Um, now, my, my point is this, you know, I could have enjoyed a handful of blueberries that year. And Jesus is saying to us here, do you, you know, do you want that handful of blueberries now? Or will you believe me that by making that small sacrifice, sacrificing that small pleasure now, you will be accruing for yourself a reward in the future that you cannot even fathom. Well, this is a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith, and God is pleased. I believe there's a way that he's uniquely glorified. When we simply take him at his word, though we can't see it right now, we take him at his word, we believe that what he is saying is true. I love that hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word." just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. That's all we need to know. Jesus said it, I believe it, and I believe he's glorified when we live our lives in light of that reality. When we fix our eyes, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, Jesus is lifting our eyes here to that unseen reward, which, though unseen, is every bit as real as the tangible sacrifice. Uh, the difference is that it's far more lasting. Well, several years ago, I became aware of a couple in my home church who were sponsoring seven children through our orphan sponsorship program. And when I saw that, it really took me aback. Uh, not so much because of the number seven, which is a really nice number, but we have people who are sponsoring more than seven children. Um, what really made me step back was I know these people, they're friends of mine, and I know they're living a very normal middle-class American lifestyle. They're not rich by American standards by any stretch. And by the way, I always have to say, I do not go looking through our database for my friends' names and trying to find out how many children they're sponsoring. I just stumbled upon this information, and, and once I became aware of that, I really felt like I need to drop these guys a note in the mail and just tell them how much I appreciate what they're sacrificing for so many children. So I did that, I dropped them a note, we bumped into each other sometime later, they mentioned the note, and then we had a little conversation, and I became aware of how that whole situation transpired. Um, they, like many of us, began by sponsoring one or two children when the program launched, um, but then each year, as the husband, who's the breadwinner of that family, uh, would get an increase, they would just like kind of based on the principle that the Lord provided well for us last year with the income that we had and now we've got an increase, let's share a little bit of that increase with another child. They would just add one new child each year. Um, by the way, when I bring this message, I always check the, the database again and, and sure enough, this family is now sponsoring 18 children. So it's been many years since 
that first, that initial discovery. Um, my point in, in referencing them is not that we should all be sponsoring 18 children or you know, everyone should be adding one new child each year. My point is simply to say this is not a family of significant means. The, they're living a very normal American middle-class lifestyle. Um, the sacrifices they're making are real. They could be using those funds for some other purpose that would benefit their standard of living, and none of us would look at their standard of living and say, whoa, they're really kind of living high on the hog. They're living a luxurious lifestyle. Um, but this is a couple whose eyes are fixed, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. Um, they're sacrificing now for a reward that's being kept in heaven for them where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And I know I want to live my life in light of that reality, and I hope you do as well. When I think of Jesus' exhortation here to be generous toward those who could do nothing to repay us, I can't help but think of the children in our orphan sponsorship program. Um, if you are sponsoring children in our program, and I know that, that many of you are, it is virtually assured that they will never be able to do anything to repay you for that sacrifice. Well, that is exactly the kind of generous, generosity that Jesus is commending to us in this passage. It is precisely this kind of generosity that he promises to repay at the resurrection of the just. And I don't know about you, but that phrase, the resurrection of the just, just immediately puts me in the mind of, of Matthew 25, um, where Jesus foresees that final day, uh, the day of judgment, when we'll stand before him and he'll say to us, uh, enter into your inheritance. For when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And we'll say, Jesus, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked? And he'll say, even as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now that part doesn't come from my imagination. That part comes from Matthew 25. But my imagination says, I mean, hey, we'll be in eternity. There'll be no time restrictions. I'm just imagining Jesus pulling up a young lady by his side and saying, this is Chalcedon. I want you to know Chalcedon. She was born in Ethiopia. She was born with HIV. She lost both of her parents to AIDS. She was on a trajectory to die of AIDS herself. But you gave when there was nothing she could give you in return. And your giving sustained her life and brought a lady named Helena into her life. Helena brought her the gospel and led her to faith. Chalcedon is here for all of eternity because you gave when there was nothing she could give you in return. Or maybe he'll pull a young man up by his side and say, this is Charles, I want you to know Charles. He went to school at Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia. He was sponsored to go to that school and he came to faith in Jesus as a young boy through a VBS program there. And later he was able to go on for university through a scholarship and he was able to become a teacher and influence the lives of so many others from his role as a teacher. All because you gave when there was nothing he could give you in return. Just think of the ripple effects throughout eternity. I love to just let my imagination run to a future day when our children now are parents and grandparents and they'll have little grandchildren who will know the love of Jesus because someone shared it with their mother or their grandfather when they were just little helpless children in the community. Think of the lives that will be touched in the future by the lives that we're touching right now. Well, I believe that part of our reward will be the joy of seeing with the eyes of eternity the full glorious impact that our acts of kindness and generosity were able to, to achieve in this life. Now, it takes the eyes of faith to see that in the here and now. And I couldn't be more grateful to the many people, including many in this church, uh, who, who have had the faith to invest in our ministry and our work now for 20 years. And at this point, I wanna just turn the corner and begin to update you on the, <clears throat> the ministry of Covenant Mercies. Excuse me. Not used to doing two services. <laughs> 
As many of you know, um, <clears throat> the main centerpiece of our ministry is what we call our orphan sponsorship program. And it's through this program that we're able to provide a fatherless child with, with his or her basic needs, some basic nutritional, medical, and educational support within the context of, of his or her own family. So uh, I think the next slide shows you a kind of a typical Ethiopian family. This is a mother and her three children. She's been widowed and left behind to care for these children. We build, partner, uh, we build teams within our church partners that go out into their own community and serve these families within their own family context. Um, we're also working in uh, Uganda, Zambia, and uh, most recently Liberia. And, um, and we've been doing this now, as I said, for 20 years. So as a 20-year-old ministry now, we're having the joy of seeing many children graduate from our program after literally decades of investing into their lives. Well, through 20 years of ministry in sub-Saharan Africa and more than 15 years of, of good fruit from our partnership to develop Lighthouse Christian School with our dear friends Wilbrod and Zicky Chanda, um, sadly, we lost Wilbrod last year. If you're tuned in to Covenant Mercies or even to Sovereign Grace, you may have heard that uh, we lost Wilbrod, but Zicky continues to serve as the director of Lighthouse Christian School, and we've been building this school in partnership with them. And what, we learn, what we've learned through our partnership with them is that to really help our children break out of the cycles of uh, intergenerational poverty that, that they are battling against, it really requires a significant and increasingly direct investment into their education. Uh, now, from day one, we always viewed education as critically important. We always budgeted a significant amount of those sponsorship funds toward school fees, making sure the children remain in school, making sure they have their uniforms and their books and their pens and all the supplies that they need to, to take advantage of that educational opportunity. But what we realized over time is that uh, in many cases, all you're doing by sending a child to school is putting them in a classroom with maybe a hundred other students and one teacher and a few textbooks to share. And so if there are any teachers in the room, I, I, you're imagining that would be an impossible context to really provide a quality education. And so increasingly, as we've had opportunity and where we've, we've had uh, those kind of needs, we've been able to directly invest into their education by actually building and developing the schools that we send our children to. And again, it was in Zambia with the Chandas where we first learned that lesson through Lighthouse Christian School. Uh, we're going to return to Zambia a little bit later, but I want to take you to Western Uganda, a little town called Kibora, um, because it was really after developing this partnership with the Chandas in Zambia uh, that we decided to launch a similar school project in Western Uganda called Hope Community Primary School. And uh, I think you're looking at a photo. Okay, you're already, if you want to go back one slide. Yeah, that, this is groundbreaking day, and that man with the big smile on his face there on the far right is Moses Nkwatsibwe. He is our partner pastor there, and he leads the team on the ground there. The team is so thrilled to be able to, to uh, have this school as part of their uh, oversight as well. Um, but this groundbreaking day was after about a year spent with Ugandan engineers, now we can go to that next slide, developing this comprehensive site plan that Lord willing, we will roll out through the years uh, as the school continues to expand, we'll add those buildings in accordance with that site plan. Um, and thanks to a small army of, of donors and generous partners uh, who've donated tens of thousands of dollars into this vision, uh, in February 2020, we were school for three grades, pre-K, through grade one uh, and uh, for about 90 students in those in those three grades in those three grades and yeah now you're looking at day one at school um, now I just said February 2020 and I think some people got a chill I get a chill every time I say it because February 2020 was like a month before schools shut down everywhere in the world including Uganda uh, and in fact schools remained closed in Uganda for much longer than most places it was one of the outliers in the world in terms of extending school closures uh, if I had time I would love to tell you more stories about our brand new faculty at Hope Community School combined with our Covenant Mercies sponsorship 
team and what they did to continue the education of our children in outdoor contexts in various surrounding villages. They, they gathered them each and every week. They had workbooks. They, they kept them on grade level exercises. And by the end of that process, uh, more than 80% of the children uh, performed well enough on their assessment tests to move to the next grade. So most of them were able to continue their education. And earlier this year, we were able to reopen the school for 120 students in grades pre-K through grade two. And Lord willing, uh, as we add one new grade each year, so this year's second graders will be next year's third graders, and then we'll keep growing the school like that. Um, by 2026, Lord willing, we will have hundreds of students in pre-K through grade seven uh, receiving quality Christian education each and every year. Um, now, I want you to understand that, that being able to offer that to these children in this remote and rural area where they might have been sitting in a classroom with upwards of 100 students around them is transformational. Um, this school enables us to provide quality education that enables us to give them well-trained instructors in, in, uh, school, in classrooms with managed sizes and sufficient resources and equipment, all to a very severely underserved population. But in, in addition to that, that, that describes the better quality education we're able to provide. In addition to that, it provides us as Covenant Mercies with a Monday through Friday Christ-centered context where we can multiply our opportunities to share the gospel with them, to proclaim the, the word of the Lord to them, and to shape their Christian character from a very young age. Well, this Kibora area is a very hilly terrain and it's hard to show you much from the ground. So we actually found out you can rent a, um, you can rent a drone in Western Uganda in case you didn't know that. And uh, we've got a little video to show you that gets you up above the campus and shows you the progress we've made on that site plan as of now and also introduces you to our head teacher, Rosabella. So let's go ahead and roll that. You're welcome to Hope Community Primary School. I'm called Sabit Rosbera, the head teacher of this school. My purpose here is um, to direct my staff on what they are supposed to do and be in the vision of the school. Thank you so much for loving us, for supporting us, and supporting our children. Thank you for indulging us with the gratuitous amount of soccer footage there. Um, oh, and by the way, I saw Jake, uh, Jace, uh, bobbing his head earlier to that music. That is. Um, we, we sell that music on a CD, by the way. It's a indigenous uh, music from Uganda that we record. It's beautiful. Uh, we sell that for only $10 to, to raise funds, so you can find that at the table if you're interested. Well, a couple of years ago, one of our newsletters featured the story of a young man named Alex Karohanga, who is from this very Kibora community. Uh, when we first met Alex in 2008, we enrolled him in our sponsorship program that we were just launching in that area of Uganda at that time. Uh, his life was in a really dark place. He had recently lost his father to AIDS. 
uh, his mother, whose health was also severely deteriorating to her own, uh, due to her own HIV diagnosis, uh, was really fighting to stay alive to be able to continue caring for her children. Well, through the efforts of our team on the ground, Alex's mother was able to get the medical care that she needed, and she continues to live and and, uh, thrive to this day. She quickly responded to that treatment. Um, Yet, despite these new opportunities being presented to Alex through our sponsorship program, This young man really continued to struggle in his heart. He frequently skipped school. He was known for being disrespectful to his teachers and and classmates. And by 2012, he was nearly expelled from his secondary school due to his serious disciplinary record. Um, But Alex's mother, our team on the ground there, did not give up on him. And the following year, the Lord opened Alex's heart to the gospel. He immediately joined a discipleship course offered through our indigenous church partner. You remember Moses uh, in that photo. And the good fruit of, in Alex's life just began to become immediately evident. Um, by the end of 2013, so only a year or so after he was almost expelled from school, he had transformed into one of the most disciplined and trustworthy students in the entire school. In fact, he was appointed head boy. Um, if you're familiar with the British school system or maybe even a school called Hogwarts, um, this is a head boy and head girl are uh, statuses, titles given to uh, the most exemplary student leaders in the school. Um, and young Alex even went on a mission trip to our Eastern, uh, Eastern Uganda program area to share the gospel with other students his age at that time. Uh, here's how Alex refers back to that, that time in his life now as he looks back. Alex says, quote, My life changed when I got saved in 2013 and was introduced to the gospel and discipleship. Jesus humbled me, and now I value my life and and the support I receive from Covenant Mercies, which is by grace. My mother also receives HIV care, and she's very healthy and strong. I'm so grateful to God for changing my life and favoring me, and to Covenant Mercies for extending the helping hand of God to me. I'll never be the same again. Well, Alex later graduated from a technical institute with honors and a certificate in plumbing. Uh, he even used those, schools to help, uh, those skills to help us install the water system at Hope Community Primary School. That is the recent photo of Alex, and that is Alex at work on our school campus helping to install the system. Uh, he's, he's since then uh, returned to school and upgraded to a diploma in water engineering as well. Um, but this is just one example of the impact we can have by sponsoring kids through our program. As a sponsor, your generosity is providing education and health care, but even more than that, it's setting into motion the, the gospel outreach, the personal care and mentorship, discipleship of our indigenous church partners, and it's amazing to see the work that the Lord has done in Alex's life and so many others like him. Uh, it all begins with one sponsor's gracious decision to give from the resources that the Lord has provided us to steward to see these kids' lives transformed. Well, when I shared earlier about the launch of Hope Community Primary School, anyone who's already familiar with the work of Covenant Mercies would probably recognize an echo of uh, the model of Lighthouse Christian School and our partnership with Lighthouse in Zambia. It really is uh, in, in an effort to replicate that model in other areas that, that we uh, launched that new school in Uganda. Well, we began partnering with Lighthouse in uh, 2006. I think you're, you're gonna be looking at a photo of actually from a few years ago now of the campus as it has developed. Um, as we began partnering with Lighthouse, we sponsored one classroom of kindergarten students as we began, and then just like we're planning to do in Hope Community in Uganda, we just added one new grade each year. So this year's kindergartners and next year's grade one, next year's grade two, and we just continued adding to that school year by year to the point where we're now sponsoring more than 300 students to receive quality Christian education through Lighthouse Christian School each and every year. And we've also worked with our partners there to purchase land, to 
build out the campus as the years have gone by. Um, just this past January, I had the blessing of being in Zambia for the official opening of the newest building on the campus. There, this is our lean and mean Covenant Mercies team standing right in front of that new building. We've got a bigger team when you include the, the faculty of the school, but this is the group that oversees the sponsorship of the children there. Um, and that's Zicky Chanda standing right in the middle as well. Uh, this new building, as you're seeing, includes a library, which is so exciting. As a homeschooling dad, we just loved uh, exposing our children to so many books and so much education through reading. Um, but this is the first children's library that we're aware of in all of Ndola, Zambia. So um, the, the children just didn't have access to these kind of resources until we were able to build this library. Uh, the, the school also has a spacious assembly hall, which we can use for gathering the children for all kinds of purposes, even a cafeteria for the school lunch program, which we provide uh, for the sponsored kids as part of their sponsorship. So five days a week, we know they're getting that good nutritious meal that's a uh, part of their diet. Um, we also have a computer lab and a science lab, which enables us next year to add grade eight. We've recently been approved by the Zambian Ministry of Education to add grade eight and Lord willing the next year, grade nine. So uh, this, this building uh, is really quite an impressive structure and it really, um, it, it's, it's wonderful to, to see this kind of investment being poured into our children's lives. Um, but honestly, if you know anything about Covenant Mercies, you know that we're not excited about developing impressive campuses or beautiful buildings. Our goal, our mission really is about developing young lives. It's about equipping our sponsored kids to cultivate the gifts that God has given them for his glory. And I want to tell you a brief story about a young man named Michael Nkata, who's a product of Lighthouse Christian School. Uh, we first got to know Michael also in 2008 when he was first enrolled in our sponsorship program. He had lost both of his parents to AIDS as well. He'd been taken in by an aunt uh, just in the local community of Lighthouse Christian School. And so when we, he was sponsored in our program, he was immediately enrolled in grade two at that time. And uh, he got the attention of the teachers as the years went by. It was obvious that he was a very sharp student and he was, he was uh, learning very well. He was uh, academically inclined. And so uh, fast forwarding to his uh, graduation, he graduated from grade 12. He took his college entrance exams and was awarded a 75% scholarship by the Zambian government to go to the University of Zambia as a pre-med student. Um, now this happened right after we had just established what we call, in Covenant Mercies, we call our Mapalo Scholarship Fund for higher education. Uh, Mapalo is a word that means blessing, and this fund exists to uh, bless the graduates of our sponsorship program who are eligible to go on for higher ed with that opportunity. And um, just to be clear, our sponsorship program takes the children through high school or the vocational school equivalent. And then uh, university studies would be beyond the scope of the sponsorship program, but through the Mapalo Fund, they can now apply for that opportunity. And um, Michael, applied for that and of course we gave him the final 25% so he's got a full scholarship to go to the University of Zambia. Uh, I love the way that he described in his Mapalo application, um, he described his desire to become a doctor and his desire specifically to serve the underserved as a doctor in the following way. Uh, Michael said, quote, being an orphan and being raised in a community of people with low social status has made me want to study hard and be one person who came from such a background and still made it in life and to be able to give hope to people where hope has died. And I remember reading that application and just thinking, it just, it just occurred to me that Michael is able to pursue that dream right now because somebody else gave him hope where hope might have died. Uh, because someone gave to him when there was nothing he could possibly do to repay them. And all of this was inspired by what Jesus did for us by coming and giving to us when there was nothing we could possibly do to repay him. 
Well, there are many ways that we can express this generosity, and I'm not here this morning to say that Covenant Mercies is the way to do this. Um, I pray that the Holy Spirit is bringing application to this word in in all the ways that he intends, Um, but I do want to invite you to consider joining hands with Covenant Mercies and joining hands really uh, in the Lord's work to transform the lives of these kids for both time and eternity. Just a few ways you can consider doing that. Um, Your sponsorship of children I hope you've heard through these testimonies this morning, your sponsorship of children mobilizes our church partners on the ground, people like Moses and Kwatsibwe, like Will Broad and Ziki Chanda and others, and the teams that they've developed to be in motion, to, to get into the children's lives and uh, serve them in, in many ways. Um, your investment into the schools we're developing provides our children and provides us with that t- uh, Monday through Friday Christ-centered context where we can shape their Christian character and influence their lives for the gospel all the more. Um, years down the road, we trust that with the strong emphasis we're placing on, on early education, many more of them will qualify for Mapalo scholarships. And so we're building that fund today with that future day in mind. And in the end, we trust, we believe that these young people will graduate and take their place in society as influencers in their families, in their workplaces, in their churches, in their communities for the glory of God and those ripple effects that we were dreaming out loud about uh, just a few uh, minutes ago will go out and we will see the effects of that fully in eternity. Uh, well, as uh, Jacob mentioned, um, there's a table set up in the Grace House. I keep forgetting the name of your house. How can I forget Grace House? Um, in the Grace House, I would love to, I'll be over there. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to answer any questions you have. We'll have a table that includes basic informational materials, but also profiles of children who are awaiting sponsors. So if you're interested in considering sponsorship and you might want to even pick the child or children that you will sponsor, um, there are children there whose photos you can see and a little family background you can read. Um, I am so grateful to this church for your participation in RunFAR. I think last year you found out about it kind of late, but you still had a great participation. You raised some significant funds. Thank you for doing that. Um, and, And Jacob was correct. You can run, you can walk, you can hike, you can crawl. I don't care what you do. Um, It is a wonderful opportunity to reach out into your uh, neighborhoods, your workplaces, and invite people to give toward a cause that uh, someone doesn't even need to be a follower of Christ to to give toward a cause like this. Uh, So great opportunity. Um, We're also also selling um, T-shirts, these beautiful Do Justice, Love Mercy T-shirts. I'm sorry to tell you that if you're my size or larger, we, we are out of, we got some new shirts coming in, but I only have mediums and smaller. Medium, small, and extra small. Um, so we're selling those. Uh, by the way, our sponsorship program is a direct investment into the life of your child. So when, we're, when I'm talking about these school projects, we're not pulling from those sponsorship funds in order to build schools. We're raising funds in other ways, which is part of why uh, we sell this merchandise and we, we do these other types of fundraisers. But if you're giving in sponsorship, that really is a direct investment into your child's life. Um, we're also uh, celebrating the launch. I didn't even talk about our new program in Liberia this year, but we're very excited in our 20th anniversary to not only be looking backwards at you know celebrating God's grace in our first 20 years, but also to be looking forward to new opportunities he's putting before us. So I'd be happy to talk to you a little bit more about that at the table if you're interested as well. But regardless of whether you decide specifically to join hands with Covenant Mercies uh, today, may we all grow in being generous disciples who give generously toward those who can never pay us back, knowing, knowing with the full confidence of faith that God will reward us at the resurrection of the just. Amen. Can we thank Doug?